We're about halfway between Tasmania and Antarctica. Macquarie Island is a plush green mountain range rearing up from an often lumpy ocean in the middle of the furious 50s. I suppose you could describe it as a bit like living in some sort of nature documentary, Attenborough-style event, in that there is just so much life packed in so close. Three and a half million seabirds and 80,000 elephant seals can't be wrong. It's also home to a tiny community of around 14 scientists, tradies and rangers. It is quite a surreal feeling to see that ship leave the shore. You look around at each other and there'll be 14 of us and you think, this is us. <laughs> this is it for the winter. Visiting just once a year, the icebreaker Aurora Australis is a lifeline for food and supplies. Oh, refuelling just means life. If you don't get the fuel there, you can't stay there. It provides everything. It provides power, the light, the heating, the whole lot all comes from the fuel. Resupply. A little word for a massive operation. G'day, I'm Mark Horseman from the Australian Antarctic Division. Come behind the scenes for our annual resupply of Macquarie Island, or MACA, as it's fondly known. One of the world's most remote places at its busiest time of the year, and find out what keeps people coming back. It usually takes three days to get from Hobart to Macca on the Aurora Australis. But going full tilt to beat bad weather and huge swells, you can do it in two. Running the resupply in 2019 and radiating calm is voyage leader Anthony Hull. Yes, a given day can be quite challenging. Uh, I think promoting a, a controlled, calm exterior is important when you're in these leadership positions because that it, that filters through the rest of uh, the teams that you've got working so that's a that's a key attribute I think in any management team uh, but in saying that some moments get quite hectic and you know you might have helicopters uh, you might have people on the water you might have cargo moving on the water so once again that safety element of, of everyone is key from the ship Holly works with his counterpart on the island, outgoing station leader, Ali Dean. For her, resupply is the last major duty before returning home. I've been here for the past year, almost to the day, and uh, feel really lucky to have um, spent that time on, in such a wonderful, wild place. In fact, Ali has been a winter station leader at most of the Australian Antarctic research stations. I've had an excellent team here this year. So uh, there was 14 of us over the winter and I can't, I can't think of a problem that we had other than the pipes freezing at one stage. I love the station leader role because it's all encompassing. So I get an overview of everything that's going on station. 
Uh, I, lo I love that from cleaning the toilets to uh, helicopter operations. Uh, it's, it's wide ranging. When I first went down south, I was a geologist. So I went in as a scientist and I could see how dynamic stations were and, and uh, just how everything had to come together to, to actually make things happen. And that's what I love about uh, being the station leader. I make things happen. Good morning. Incoming station leader Kat Panjari is also no stranger to spending a winter on an Antarctic research station, but she is new to Macca. My first impressions are just how embracing this island is. It instantly felt like home. It almost has a farm-like feel about it. Uh, there's tractors rolling by, there's agricultural type buildings around the island. Um, you can feel the layers of history on the island and the scale of it uh, feels like a small village or a small town and a community feel about it. So it, it's, even though it's, you know, potentially a very hostile environment in the middle of the Southern Ocean, it's green and it's... Um, it's a lovely place to, to live. So uh, I instantly felt at home, um, which is quite different to being on the continental stations, which can be a little bit more hostile and a little bit more difficult to get used to. So that's been an, uh, a really lovely uh, surprise. As the resupply swings into action, helicopters carry sling loads from ship to shore. Amphibious vehicles called larks rumble up and down the rocky beach, ferrying cage pallets from the Aurora's cargo hold. Some of the first cargo to come ashore is food, which has the new chef Karen Oates fully occupied. So we're currently in the green store at the moment, unpacking a year's supply of food with many hands, uh, doing a chain gang. What does a year's supply of food look like? Uh, a lot. <laughs> um, oh, so we're probably looking at about maybe 12 cartons of tin tams, uh, 20 cartons of tin tomatoes. Uh, we also have a um, maybe 60 to 70 cartons of frozen meat. Uh, just masses amounts of food because we don't want to run out through the year so we probably have more than we need but it'll all get utilised because people also eat more in the cold weather. When does the next lot of food arrive? How long do you have to plan for? Uh, so the next lot will arrive in about 12 months time. As the cage pallets are forklifted in, they're unpacked by a small army of willing workers passing boxes hand to hand. We're doing pretty good, so the last two days we've probably received about 80% of our stores for the year, so we've still got a little bit to go, but yeah, many hands make light work. It's all hands on deck when it comes in, isn't it? It is, and it's fantastic, but that's what this is all about, the team and the community and everybody helping out when they can. Lots of toilet paper and toothpaste 
to keep us going for the winter. So um, resupply at Macquarie Island is just that little bit more complicated because we are on an island, because we rely on ship-to-shore transport and because of the prevailing weather conditions, which uh, just add an extra element of logistical manoeuvring. Kat Panjari. Remember those larks? Well, a Macca resupply is unique for using these boats with wheels and the small group of people with the skills to drive them, called larkies. James Dobe is one of them. I don't know exactly how many resupplies of Macquarie I've been involved with, but it would be something in the 20s, and there's others in the group with similar sort of numbers of these voyages. So, yeah, it is a, it is a fairly happy get-together of the group, and at least half of us would be the same in any voyage. What is it about a Macca resupply that makes larks essential? Uh, the surf would be in one word. So Macquarie Island lies really in the middle of the, the furious 50s, as they're termed, and Australia got a little bit short-changed when it came to harbours on our islands. Uh, if you go to the you go well to the west, you get Kerguelen, which has got these magnificent sort of long gorge-like fjords into it. Uh, you go across to the other side to the east, and the Kiwis have got islands with magnificent harbours, and Macquarie Island's stuck here in the middle as basically a single strip that runs nearly north-south with no useful harbour at all. And there's no nice little super-sheltered bay to bring a barge into, so we need a vehicle that can carry cargo through surf and a lark really is about the only thing that's out there that can do that. How much cargo have you carried this voyage? Oh, it's an endless source of debate between us and the helicopters, but of course we carried far more than the helicopters. It ends up being 128 tonnes ashore and 86 tonnes backloaded, but who's counting? James is also trained as a biologist and a medic. What keeps him coming back, though, in any role, is the nature. The oceans around here are tremendously productive. It's why all the seals and penguins and everything are down here. But they don't really... Well, some of them do, but many of them don't really like sitting on the ice for the same reason that we don't like sitting on the ice, and that is that it's rather cold and unpleasant. And so everything that wants to be down here for the food but doesn't want to sit on the ice has to pick these very small pieces of land, these last little specks of green before you get down into the land of white. And they're all packed in together. And so it's a pretty amazing variety of wildlife. In addition, from a vegetation point of view, these are the last bits of green. And so things are right on the edge of struggling to get enough light and keep themselves going through the winter. And so it has pretty unique plants as well. And both the plants and the animals don't really have much in the way of terrestrial predators. Naturally, there's almost nothing here. So, sure, if you lean over the top of the seal and say, boo, it will get a fright. But as long as you give things a little bit of space, 
most things have got other things to worry about other than you. And so you're remarkably tolerated in their environment, which is really nice. That's the relaxing sound of an elephant seal snoring. Kat Panjari is keen to meet the locals and explore. The thing I'm most looking forward to is our ability to go down island um, and to walking across those peaks and onto that plateau, which I can barely see under some low cloud cover this morning, um, and to spending time in those field huts and doing some of the supporting the rangers in the wildlife ranger and the um, island ranger to yeah, continue to protect um, this amazing nature reserve. And that's the thing. Macker is listed as World Heritage and strictly protected as a nature reserve by the Tasmanian Parks and Wildlife Service. But more than a century of visiting ships left a legacy of feral pests. Cats, rabbits, mice and rats overran the island and threatened wildlife. Until 2014, when Macca became the first island in the world to successfully eradicate four invasive species. Yeah, having, having seen the island for the past year uh, and then pictures of what it was in the past before eradication, uh, you can see the changes are remarkable. Ali Dean, surrounded by tussock grass rippling in the wind. I'm not very tall. I can now get um, swamped by tussock that was bare hillsides just a few years ago. Uh, and I think everyone that comes back to Macquarie can, can see the benefit of the eradication program immediately uh, without the thought of, of rats uh, in the huts and <laughs> in the station as well. <laughs> Keeping it that way is a remarkable duo of dog handler Sue Robinson from Biosecurity Tasmania and a lively fox terrier cross called Nui. Nui is an expert at detecting the faintest whiff of rodents. So he's very excited to see what my fluffy grey microphone cover has to offer. Well, since Macquarie Island became rodent-free, which uh, was around 2012-13, we've got to be uh, incredibly... Uh, strict on our biosecurity to make sure that rats and mice don't return to the island and so part of the whole process of which there's many stages uh, we have a, a trained rodent dog to check the cargo before it leaves uh, as it's on the ship and we check the ship and then we also check the station and then receive all the cargo to ensure that no rodents come back to the island. So resupply is a busy, the busiest time of year for you. You've got everything coming through your shed here and Newey's running his nose over all of it. Yeah, that's correct. How many tonnes do you reckon? How many pallets? You're keeping, you're keeping count in your head? Uh, I'm not sure of the tonnage, but it's around 150 items, like pallets and bundles and, and different things come in. Yep. Is there a trick to making Newey think that any pallet could be the next one? <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, you can't just have a dog uh, working for no reward, and, and the way they're trained, it's all reward-based. And so an actual rat or mouse is a, is a reward for a rodent dog. They get very excited when they, when they smell that and maybe even get to chase it. But clearly that's not going to happen here. So during the process, 
every 10 or so pallets, I'll put a little vial of rodent scent. I'll get someone to hide that and they'll be hidden in a pallet. And then Nui will come along and he'll go, whoa, I've got something. And so, and so he goes into his response, which is to dig, sometimes to bark. Yes! And, and he's rewarded with a, uh, a fluffy, uh, it's like a fluffy toy, and, and it's on a rope, so it's a tug toy and it's a fluffy thing, and, and for him, that's as, it's nearly as good as a, a rat. So that's his reward, and he knows that if he finds his target scent, then he gets his favourite toy. Sue first came to Macca in the 1990s to work on eradicating cats. The seabirds just came back in droves, which... And, uh, and that was the, one of the most amazing things to see and essentially inspired me to work in the area of uh, removing pests off islands and I've been involved in several other island projects uh, since then. And uh, part of that work is to ensure that uh, the biosecurity is maintained once we have got rid of pests. Beyond cargo, there's another side to resupply. Welcome to Pure Science Fiction down at Macquarie Island. Whoa. Kat Panjari shows me into the warm, well-lit, fan-forced world of the hydroponics house. Here we are. It's the warmest, greenest interior on the island. Is this your home away from home, do you think? Oh, is it going yeah. to be? In the depths of winter, this is the place to be. It's green, it's warm, it's quiet. You can almost hear things growing so it's a lovely little refuge to pop in each day and do some gardening. I'm guessing you're a keen gardener or are you just starting out? Uh, no, I do have a bit of a green thumb, so it's lovely to be part of that down here. So let's open up the seedlings today. And the pack choice have grown overnight, which is wonderful. So here we have a tray of seedlings that we're trying to establish uh, during resupply so that we can then plant those out uh, for the winter. So we'll just give them a bit of a water. So we've got the tomatoes growing. We've got some cucumbers, some rocket, two types of lettuce, a cos. We've got some pak choy. And then I've just planted some basil, some tiny tomatoes, some spring onions, and some sage. Because your fresh supplies won't last forever, will they? How long before they'll run out? Yeah, look, we'll have fresh fruit and veg. Uh, we can make it last for perhaps five or six months if it's stored correctly and if we're lucky, um, but then you do miss the crunch of a fresh bit of vegetable. So being able to grow crunchy lettuce or capsicum or spinach or rocket um, and just get those fresh flavours of the basil and the sage and the juiciness of a tomato, it means everything to the well-being of an expeditioner, uh, particularly in the depths of winter um, when there's not a lot of light around to be able to have things that you've grown to hand over to the chef each day. Uh, it gives them um, something to kind of stimulate their design of the menu as well. So they try to keep it, you know, based around the fresh produce that we can provide them. And the other thing with the, the light and the warmth, 
you know, we have been known to drag in a deck chair and a good book and... <laughs> and a potted palm. <laughs> and to sit amongst the foliage and uh, just take a little bit of time out. Yeah, it's a lovely environment um, to be on station. Yeah. <laughs> It does go on. It does go on, yes. Nearby in the surgery, the station's sole medic, Dr Kate Closer, is busy unpacking and repacking. Unlike a medical facility in Australia where you call the medical technician in and they come in and fix your or do the service on your x-ray machine or your blood testing machine, we don't have that at all here. Um, we have wonderful tradespeople that can do the basics but not the that maintenance. So that has to get swapped out on the once a year resupply and we only have the uh, resupply time to get that done. So it's a fairly sort of quick and but you know important effort <laughs> after all the hurly-burly of a week or more of resupply what's it like when everything's packed up and the ship's weighing anchor and heading for the for the horizon you can feel the whole station take a big sigh of relief um yeah, people start to feel, I think, a sense of ownership um, of the community and we start to bond even more sort of tightly than we already have as we find ways to work and, and live together and what our community standards are going to be. What's a bit different this time is that Macker is the first Australian research station to have a wintering community of seven women and seven men. I'm super excited about it. This is the first time I've had an even split of gender. Normally, um, well, I shouldn't say normally, previously, um, my winters I've been in a significant minority, including having done a winter as the only woman. Um, so the change in dynamics, I think we're a much more natural community having that even balance. Um, so I'm really quite excited to see the differences in how, how we come together as a community. Back on the ship, the final act of resupply is nearing its end. One and a half kilometres of fuel hose is being rolled back up after successfully refilling the station's giant diesel fuel tanks. Brad Collins has been supervising operations like this one for more than a decade. This year we waited three days, I think, for the weather window to turn up and then we dragged the hose from the ship back to shore, set the hose up on shore, do the connections up, put anchor points in place at different points north south to hold it in the right orientation and stops it drifting about connect it up to the ship and then go through the checklist and start the pumps so it's a real dance that involves a lot of people isn't it oh uh, yeah there's there's lots and lots of people involved in refueling here at macquarie or or any other station um off the top of my head i think it's about 30 people here involved in refueling and how'd you go this year? What was the volume um, pumped and um, how much was lost? None was lost, uh, which is really good. And we pumped 100 litres short of 240,000. So it was 239,900 litres we pumped ashore. And while we're on numbers, the 16-day resupply also supported 11 science and construction projects including the early stages of planning the station rebuild. Ironically, as the person in charge of the resupply, Hully was one of the few to not actually land on the island this time. Yes, it would have been nice to visit the station, but that, that's a busy place during resupply, so the opportunities to do something on station you know, wouldn't have been as 
I experienced in the past. So in some ways I was very happy just to be sitting here and doing the role on the ship. Is that what keeps you coming back, that satisfaction of making things work? It's a good question, the motivation. I think if I could answer it just sitting around in the mess now and hearing the amount of noise that's there and the happiness and the conversation, to me, says that all the projects that that were here on this voyage have met their objectives. So I think there's a sense of achievement uh, for that to happen because everyone's come and, uh, you know, achieved what they wanted to do. So... Uh, I think that's, that's a real reward. It's time to go. The Aurora Australis starts to quiver as the engines rise in tempo and the ship pulls away from the island. From a hilltop, we see orange smoke drifting from some old flares as the winterers remaining on Macca bid us a traditional flare well. It's a bittersweet moment for Ali Dean and her team as they stand on the ship's deck gazing back at their home for the last year. It's at the end of a very hectic resupply. You, you're feeling a quiet sense of mission accomplished or a more of a woo-hoo mission accomplished? It's a bit of woo-hoo and a, a bit of relief there too because it's a very tense time resupply. So just uh, getting it all done and getting it all done safely. What is it about the small communities in the sub-Antarctic and Antarctic that keeps you coming back? It is the can-do, it is the sort of um, just su- the surprise at, at what a small group, group can accomplish if they put their minds to it. It's just a, a huge skill set that you have. Will you be back, do you think? Uh, who knows? I never, I never um, think about whether I'll be back, but I always leave something to do when I, you know, I never try and do everything in one trip. I think you've just got to adju- you know, enjoy what you do and think, well, maybe, maybe I'll be back. I'd love to. It's a fantastic place. <laughs>